Welcome everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. This radio ministry is sponsored by Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship, the Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. If you're looking for a place to give that is taking the gospel in direct and personal evangelism throughout the world, then consider our ministry of CPE, would you? You can learn more about how God is using us by going to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Remember, faith means taking Christ at his word. He said, confess your sins and I'll forgive you. You took him at his word and told him the deep truth about your sin and your inability to take it away, and he heard and forgave you and washed you clean. You heard him say, I stand at the door and knock, open it, and I'll come into you. And you believed him and opened your life so that he may live in you and rule in you. And now the Christian life continues in this same way. Jesus says he'll do great things for us if we'll only believe him. To believe in God for salvation is one thing, but to believe then and take that faith that is birthed in us by the Holy Spirit and see it moving in our lives from day to day. To believe daily in the salvation God provides for us. To believe daily in His eternal life. To take the Lord Jesus not once as Savior, but to take Him every day as our salvation. And to take with Him all of His promises. To let our eyes become fixed on Him and our hearts rest upon Him. This is our faith, right? And the great thing about our faith is that it can expand and continue to expand and it can throw itself over all of our fears. It can settle the storms outside where we are filled with anxiety and fear as this concentric rings, you might say, of the peaceful, glorious trust and rest and faith that the Lord Jesus gives us it spreads out. You think of that moment. I don't know how it happened when the Lord Jesus said, be still to the waves. And they were still. But I imagine there was a, almost like the shock waves of his command rippling out from that boat. And there were stormy waves all around them. And they saw a glassy sea echo out from that point until the last wave was extinguished at the shoreline. Faith is kind of like that. We trust Him and believe Him and we come to this point of settled rest in Him and then we see that this principle where, for example, our fears of eternity and where we'll spend it are answered and our fear of of not being received by a holy God are answered and when that fear is answered, all of a sudden, all of the other fears in our lives begin to be smothered by the shockwaves of that faith. That's the Christian life. Isaiah 26, verse 3 Isaiah writes, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. That's the picture. That's the picture of this triumphant faith. You can find comfort in the statements of determination that an individual will make to you, especially if you rest upon them and you trust in them and you count upon them for things. Don't worry, I'm going to take care of it. You might hear someone say something. And if they say, don't worry, listen. I'm going to take care of this problem or this issue. Your house springs a leak and the plumber arrives and he says, don't worry, I'm going to fix all the pipes and I'll clean up the mess and it'll be as good as new. And all of a sudden, the sense of stress begins to relinquish from you as you 
transition your confidence over to that individual. I'll do something. I'll take care of this. When the person who makes this declaration is the all-powerful one who is Lord of Lord and Kings of Kings, when he declares a certain I will to you, a certain expression of determination that will directly affect your life, you can take overwhelming comfort in that. It's the I wills of the Lord Jesus, the promise that is vested by his own defined, unalterable resolve or determination. I will do such and such. I will accomplish this, and it's for you. Well, this is more than just a prophecy of something that will take place, which is wonderful. We read the prophecies, and they're wonderful, and they can be encouraging to us. But this is more than a prophecy. This is a moment of time in which the prophecy is vested in God's own holy resolve. I will do this. Don't worry. What a comfort. And so the Lord Jesus says things like, I will make you fishers of men. Now, that's not just a prophecy. That's a promise. There's comfort there. My life is going to impact people's lives. It's going to affect people for the good. I can be used and I will be used for God's glory and bringing others to Him. I will give you rest. I will. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against, the powers of the enemy will not prevail against my agenda to build my church. I will not leave you without comfort. You're going to have it. These are the promises that God gives us. And they're encouraging to us. Actually, you study the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you might read some of the I wills that He states that He directly addresses. And you'll see how powerfully and wonderfully He addresses them. And you'll know that these statements of determination are sure and secure for us. Here's one. Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. Did He do it? With what resolve? With what determination? With what utter triumph he raised up the temple of his body, triumphing over all of the demonic hordes, raised it up to full ascendancy in the presence of God and before heaven and took us positionally with him. The I wills of the Lord Jesus can prove to be very encouraging to those who hold on to him as their king. They're not here mere words, but they're comforts, that comfort that we receive from the determining will of the Savior. Here's another passage like that. It's John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. So take your Bibles and turn there. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. There is an I will here. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may also be, or be also. The topic of heaven and hell are topics that actually have kind of fallen out of favor in a lot of our churches. There has been or was a long period of time in which you didn't hear heaven or hell preached on hardly at all. We spent more time preaching on stress management and how to raise our children and uh, God's plan for your financial retirement and a number of different things like that. We kind of understand how these things pass out of fashion. 
The fact is they pass out of fashion when our life becomes more and more vested in this world, when our comforts and our hopes and our assurance become more vested in this world, and when we get along pretty good in it. And even if it goes a little bad, we think, you know, with just a little minor adjustment here, with a little bit of an adaptation here, I can learn to, you know, reap everything from this age in this world that will benefit me. When the great fear in my life is not the fear of hell, but the great fear in my life is maybe the foreclosure of my home. But someone tells me there's a way to avoid this. Well, that's really the kind of message you want to hear. When the great hope of my life is not heaven, but the great hope of my life is, you know, a meaningful retirement where I have good health and I can enjoy it and surgery and to help me uh, get back my whatever it is, my golf swing. And, you know, the, the other day I did go golfing and this is just a total aside. I, I don't know if I should. I... And I decided that I've been getting worse and worse in my golf game. I haven't played very much. Last year I only went one time. And so I, I realized what it is. I'm not swinging hard enough. I've been going back my, I don't know, it's probably been 10 years since I've taken a hard swing. So I'm going to go out and I'm just going to swing as hard as I can. And I actually had a pretty good game. I hit the ball really well, and I've been in pain all week long. <laughs> I know why. I know why now. I remembered, oh, now I know why I was taking those little short half swings and just trying to touch the ball a little bit and keep it in front of me because it hurts. It's a good reminder that that's not my hope, right? Retirement in a good golf game is not my hope. Somewhere along the line, the church became pretty vested in its community and in its governance and began to see it's having a proprietary place within it and having a commanding voice within it. The more that we did that and the more that we felt that, invested in that, the less we, the less we really considered thought about hell and the less we thought about heaven. The more we thought about building this kingdom upon this earth. This kind of actually began historically the church and a lot of historians will argue that the church today is still in the age of Constantine. In the early church, for the first years of the church, we were basically fed to the lions on a daily basis, or else the threat of being fed to the lions was always out there. In fact, there was a law that was made by a certain emperor by the name of Trajan, which basically said, we won't pursue Christians, we won't feed them to the lions, we won't execute them unless somebody brings a charge against them. And then if someone brings a charge against them, we'll ask them to give their obedience to our gods and burn incense to the emperor, me, and if they don't do that, then because they're obstinate, not because we even find guilt in anything that's charged against them, but just because of their obstinance, we'll execute them. We'll make an example of them. And so, you know, the church was never really able to feel as though they could set their roots down in the world. They never were able to feel like they could really sink their roots deep into the empire. They tried to get along with their neighbor. Why not? You don't want your neighbor bringing you to court, right? Because you know what the outcome is going to be. This happened for over 300 years, about 350 years. And, you know, as a result, the church clung to and provided as its, one of its primary points of focus and blessing and song and hope and prayer the, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ coming down upon the earth one day and the rule of this Lord one day at the end of the age as, as King of kings and Lord of lords. Then Constantine came along and decided, hey, do you know, I think I'm going to favor the church. Constantine went along to his soldiers and actually painted the sign of the cross on the shields of his soldiers and went out and had a victory and thought, that worked pretty good. Maybe instead of bowing to these past gods, we'll, we'll bow to this Christian God and 
I don't know if Constantine ever became a Christian, but he at least embraced Christianity, and other kings then began to embrace it as well. And then because people wanted to get on the good side of the emperor, when they gave donations, they gave it to the church. And they built big, huge buildings, and the church became more and more vested in the kingdoms of this age. And as a result, you know what they didn't talk about very much? The kingdom of our Lord and His return and His conquest. That hope began to dissipate, and in a sense, the church still lives in the age of Constantine. It still rests in those things. And then periodically what the Lord does by His sovereign grace is He allows our world to be turned upside down. And He allows to penetrate into different parts of Christendom or the place where Christianity has touched people's lives, people to come back under the threat of martyrdom and under great and profound suffering. And all of a sudden, they find themselves powerlessly losing what they thought was and what they were claiming as, in a sense, their divine prerogative, which it isn't. The prerogatives of this age. And at that moment of time, well, heaven once again becomes important to them. And then they remember what they should have remembered all along. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 18. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable we just choose a certain level of misery when we put our hope in this age and in this world. You actually want to experience euphoria, joy, hope. You can be fed to the lions with euphoria and joy and hope when the whole anticipation and focus of your life is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to reign. It's the King and His kingdom that will dawn upon us and that we will inherit one day. You want to find joy and hope that will come out like concentric wings to swallow up all your fear and all your worry and all your distress? Get to John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, and this I will of the Lord Jesus. I will come again. This has been the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.